Are you enjoying the Olympic Games? Yes, no. Regardless of whether we enjoy them or not, uh, the Olympic Games turn the eyes of the world to champions. At the Olympics, heroes are born. Uh, Moments occur that will never be forgotten. I was driving in the car this week at the moment when Michael Phelps won his 22nd gold medal. Uh, many medals than most countries have ever won. Did you see Kyle Kyle Chalmers win his event and that that footage of his grandparents sitting on the lounge back home, bouncing excitedly? Or or, or the footage of his classmates uh, being only a Year 12 student? Uh, Mac Horton winning the 400 metres and uh, in uh, less than an hour he'll be lining up perhaps as the favourite for the 1500 metres? The women's rugby, the pearls, were you up early to watch them or did you get to school late on the other morning? Our family did. And what about the Fijians? They've got some coverage this week. Their first ever Olympic medal and gold. And of course then drawn the attention of the world as they joined together in a hymn actually about the lamb on the throne after winning and kneeling down in prayer exciting moments and then comes the medal ceremony which on the one hand is as simple as an announcement of the winner presentation of a medal playing a national anthem and raising a flag yet it's so charged with emotion and celebration and honor is that how the olympics captured you this week was there an olympic moment that made your eyes a bit sweaty The Olympic Games capture the world's attention. All eyes turn to our heroes and champions. Revelation 4 and 5 is a vision that captivates the whole world. All eyes are focused in on one place. Every eye in heaven, every eye on earth, every eye in all of eternity is drawn to one place, the centre of heaven where there is a throne. And it's not just drawn there because it's interesting or because it's entertaining, but it's drawn there, every eye is drawn there in worship. These past few weeks as we've been working our way uh, through Revelation, we began in chapter 1 where there is a vision of Jesus where we get to see the true Jesus, who he is in all his glory. Not just meek and mild baby Jesus, but Jesus who comes from God with all the power and authority and glory of God, the first to the last, the living one, the firstborn over all creation. In chapters 2 and 3, we then heard Jesus. If you see the true Jesus, you will hear and listen to the true Jesus in those letters to the seven churches in the first uh, century. Uh, This morning, as we come to chapters four and five, we see how to respond to Jesus and the way to respond to Jesus is in worship of Jesus. This image, that vision that extends across chapters 4 and 5 is to help us to see how to respond to Jesus in worship of Jesus. Uh, The scene is set for us in verse 1 of chapter 4 of this vision. Verse 1, after this I looked and there before me 
was a door standing open in heaven and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. John, the Apostle John, old man who is in exile on the island of Patmos, a kind of prison, he is given this vision by Jesus into heaven. Uh, The voice speaking here is the same one that's been speaking through chapters 1 to 3. It is Jesus who's speaking. And he's showing John what is going on in heaven. And what does he see? He sees a throne. Verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. The first thing mentioned in this vision is of a throne. There's lots of other things that are going to be mentioned across these couple of chapters but the most important thing is mentioned first and all else is described in relation to this most important thing that our attention is to be drawn to, the throne. So in verse 3 we see that there is someone who is on the throne. And the description of that person rouses images of majesty and faithfulness. There is someone on the throne. Verse 4 talks about those who are surrounding the throne, the 24 elders who represent the people of God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. They are surrounding the throne. Verse 5 is described as what is um, that's right yep I confused myself verse 5 I should stick to what's here in the Bible what is uh, coming from the throne is thunder and lightning an encounter with God is going on so we've got stuff on the throne surrounding the throne from the throne now's here the one I was looking for before the throne before the throne is the spirit of God verse 5 In verse 6, also before the throne is a tamed sea, an image here of creation being put right. We read in the Gospels when Jesus broke into the world and he was setting the world right, he was doing miracles that were giving us a taste, an image of creation being put right. One of the miracles that Jesus did was calming the storm and calming the sea. A calmed sea is a fuller picture of a creation put right. That, verse 6, is before the throne. Also in verse 6 then, we've got at the centre and around the throne are these strange creatures. Halfway through verse 6 there, it says, In the centre, around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. If you've read wider parts of the Bible, you're supposed to be thinking of Daniel chapter 7 here. We looked at this last year together. Verse 7, the first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings, this is where it really gets strange, and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. But the strangeness of these creatures is not to draw attention to themselves, because the creatures themselves, they are focused in on the throne. Uh, Likewise, the elders that we've already been told about that are there, they are not drawn with their attention to the strangeness of these creatures. Could you imagine what you would be doing if you were in the room with these four creatures, each with six wings covered in eyes? You'd either be drawn to them or running away from them. No, the elders 
and these creatures are captivated to the throne. Verse 9, whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. Verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Everything about this vision into heaven is focused on worship around the throne. That is absolutely clear for John as he has this vision from Jesus. It's absolutely clear in what he is uh, communicating to the first century church that he wrote this letter for as he was encouraging and equipping them for hard times. It's It's absolutely clear for us today that this vision into heaven is focused on worship around the throne. Everything and everyone in heaven worships the one on the throne. So chapter 4 gets our attention onto the throne. Chapter 5, which we're going to look at now, focuses us in a little bit further to what is happening on the throne. Who is there? Chapter 5, verse 1. John continues, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. It's written on both sides. It's a really, really important scroll. It's sealed with seven seals. Seven is a number of fullness and completeness in Revelation. It's impossible to open. Uh, That's confirmed for us in verse 2. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And at this point, the scene of rousing worship that has been going on round about the throne turns to distress for John. Verse 4, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. But it's not as it seems. Verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. The lion of Judah can do it. The descendant of David, mightier than the Brisbane lions more powerful than the British lions. He is able to do the impossible to open the seals. When we come to Revelation 6 next week, we'll start to see those seals being opened. Make sure you brace yourself for it. So for John, the rousing worship which turned to distress, he now clears his tear-filled eyes and looks again at the throne. Remember, amidst the rainbows and the thunder and the lightning, he's looking past the elders, past the strange creatures, and he finally sees in the centre, on the throne, something we don't expect to see. A lamb. Not a cute lamb. A bloodied lamb. Not the kind of lamb that you'd make into a cuddly children's toy. This is a lamb that looks weird. Verse 6, 
Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. Here's a strange bit. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, while this is strange and unexpected, rather than this halting the worship, rather than this bringing everything to a stop, like if a toddler ran out onto the 100-metre track at the Olympics, this doesn't stop. Here, the worship actually ramps up. The lamb, the slain lamb, becomes the focus of the elders' worship. Verse 7. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints. A new song is called for. Verse 9. They, verse 9, sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Here the worship is being drawn to the attention of the slain, mutated lamb. Verse 11, this is a technical term, a gazillion angels join in worship of the Lamb on the throne. Verse 11, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And it builds and it builds and it builds. Verse 12, In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. And then because we've run out of numbers beyond a gazillion, verse 13... Then I heard every creature in heaven and every creature on earth and every creature under the earth and every creature on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Is there anything or is there anyone else in all the universe worthy of this kind of attention? Is there anyone in all the universe worthy of this worship? Is there anyone else who, who captures the attention of eternity than this Lamb? No politician or president, no king or martyr, no champion, no hero, no career, no success, no relationship, no spouse, no child, no boyfriend, no celebrity, no amount of money has ever captured the universe's attention like this lamb. What or who is there in your life for which you can say, you are Worthy. The, vi- the vision begins with the throne at the centre and bit by bit the vision is magnified and, and, and coloured so that it ends here with, with every creature and every elder and a gazillion angels worshipping the Lamb on the throne. 
Now, who is the lamb? Against the the background of Revelation 1 to 3, we're not surprised that the slain lamb is Jesus. Uh, Revelation is all about Jesus revealed. And we set this up a couple of weeks ago as we read our way through Revelation at times where we might feel like we're, we're getting confused or lost. We need to keep asking the question, how does this reveal Jesus to me? What is this showing me about Jesus? Revelation, we're looking for Jesus. Now the image of lamb in the Bible usually points us to Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb of Exodus, the sign of God's promise to rescue his people, not just out of slavery in Egypt, but from slavery to sin and death. Jesus is the one that Isaiah prophesied who would be led like a lamb to the slaughter to rescue the sheep who have gone astray. Jesus is the one of whom John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb. Uh, We're possibly so familiar with this when we come to Revelation 4 and 5 that we go, oh yeah, the, the Lamb's Jesus. Vision, 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 the Lamb is Jesus. And we miss the main point. The main point is not that Jesus is the Lamb. The main point is that Jesus is the Lamb and everything is oriented round about Jesus. Everything that we were feeling and imagining before about all this worship of this slain, bloodied, mutated Lamb, that is what Jesus deserves. Jesus is the centre of heaven's worship. He's the powerful and mighty Lion of Judah, descended from David. He is at the centre of God's salvation plans. He is the one who purchases men and women for God. And so there is nothing and no one like him. No one else or no other thing is worthy of our attention and worship. Now, if we were to take a look into the throne room of your life, What do we see? Who or what do you worship? What's the focus of your attention? Who are you captivated by? Who are you and what you have? What what are your passions? What are your dreams? If your life is an Olympic medal ceremony, what are the cheering crowds focused on? What are they celebrating? Remember John in writing Revelation, his immediate audience is a bunch of Christians who are doing it really hard. Their life is in danger for following Jesus. They risk losing their jobs, being kicked out of the trade unions. They risk being in poverty. They risk not having homes. And so John's concern for these Christians is is not about helping them pack Jesus into a neat compartment of their life but he so wants to assure them of of who Jesus is and how heaven is so oriented round about him that they might continue in wholehearted trust and obedience of Jesus. John wants to do just the same for us. This vision reorientates and captures 
our worship to Jesus. What if we were to take a look into the throne room of NLPC, of this church? What, what, what do we see? Who and what do we worship? What's the focus of our attention as a church? What captivates us? What excites us? What do we celebrate? Vision? History? Money? Music? A minister? Or a minister we wish we had? The Bible, property, finance, friendship, tradition, growth, programs, good order, fame. Who do we celebrate? What makes our eyes sweaty? John is not writing here to help us style our worship. We're not to try and imitate uh, Revelation 4 with rainbows and thunder and lightning. But to keep us captivated with Jesus. I was at a meeting this week with a community aid organisation here locally. They were excited to, to, to uh, meet with us, I think. They, they wanted to suggest that we are just like them, that New Life Presbyterian Church is just like this community aid organisation. We are just like them in raising money so the more fortunate might feel good about themselves as they help the less fortunate in our community. Is that what? That's not what we're captivated by. Captivated by feeling good as we help other people? We're captivated by Jesus. Uh, now, of course, Jesus will shape what we do with our time and resources. We, we pray that Jesus will grow generous hearts in us that drive us to reach out to those in need. But what drives us, what inspires us, what motivates us is worship of Jesus. So when you look into the throne room of NLPC, don't see there an engine room of hard-working people achieving something honourable, but in the throne room, see people like the elders, the creatures, the gazillion angels, worshipping Jesus captivated by Jesus, celebrating Jesus, reordering everything we are and we have round about Jesus. There is no thing and no one worthy of worship than Jesus. So every time we gather as a church, on Sundays, in small groups, when we see each other around about the place. Every time we go out, we need to have ringing in our ears. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. May that be what we are captivated by in our own lives and in the life of God's church here.